We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Last week on Encountering Silence, we talked about the silence of death. Today, we are speaking with a Mennonite author and teacher who says her current mission in life is to prepare for the hour of her death one good day at a time. One of the recurring themes of our podcast is the question of how silence impacts our spiritual lives. Silence, of course, can carry a meaning far broader than just the absence of sound. In the Christian tradition, there is a long-standing recognition of the relationship between silence and stillness, as in the famous verse from Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. Also a relationship between silence and solitude, perhaps best exemplified by Jesus' 40-day sojourn in the wilderness following his baptism. Today, we would like to explore another dimension of silence, the relationship between silence and simplicity. Maybe a better way to say this would be the relationship between silence and plainness. Joining us in conversation today is Shirley Hershey Showalter, the author of Blush, A Mennonite Girl Meets a Glittering World. Shirley grew up on a Mennonite farm near Lancaster, Pennsylvania where her ancestors tilled the soil for generations. She was the first in her line to attend college, studying at Eastern Mennonite College in Harrisonburg, Virginia, going on to receive a PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. She joined the faculty of Goshen College, a Mennonite college in Indiana, eventually serving that institution as its first woman president. From there, she became an executive with the Fetzer Institute, and now she is engaged in what she calls her encore vocation of writing and helping others to celebrate what she calls jubilation, the art of aging joyfully. Shirley, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. We, we always love to start conversations by hearing about how silence meets people in their lives. So I'd just like to offer that kind of broad invitation to you. Um, if you have any memories from your, your childhood or any time in your life of meeting silence in a particular way that you would like to share with us. Well, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but silence played a huge role in my growing up years and in my desire to write about my childhood I incorporated a number of occasions that were important to me because they were ways in which God entered and I became conscious of God in huge space. And the farm is a place where a little child can be safely 
surrounded by acres and acres of space and understand herself to be part of a whole that's larger, especially a child that is growing up listening to Bible stories and listening to uh, singing in the church and bringing song and silence into that landscape. I know I did that over and over again as a little girl uh, on 100 acres of land. And my own consciousness of that experience probably was very um, buried. Um, Only now, looking back, do I see how important it was and how relatively rare it is, I think, especially for little girls to feel the power that comes from that connection to space and having freedom and voice as they listen in huge spaces. So when I tried to sum up my childhood experience in Blush, I I wrote these words. What is life but a journey one takes walking barefoot along a stream, woods on one side and pasture on the other? That awareness of the place that I grew up in and uh, later on my awareness that my own name, Shirley, means from the bright meadow really connected me with the spirit of gratitude for uh, what I was given as a child in nature and in a place where I could make the religious teachings that I was receiving uh, my own personal stories. And in summary, it was a childhood that was spent in freedom and with awareness of God through silence. Hmm. Shirley, yeah, and sticking with this talking about childhood and this this vastness that you keep expressing so beautifully, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your experience of growing up as Mennonite and, and how that related to to all these things. Yes, I grew up as a Mennonite in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, at a time when the Mennonite church there was slowly changing. Uh, For many, many years, the Mennonites wore plain clothing. And this is one of the things that uh, tourists are aware of and come to to Lancaster County to see. Uh, We're often confused with with Could you describe the plain clothing? Sure. Uh, The plain clothing uh, for us meant that we wore the women wore white coverings on their heads and they wore very modest dresses, sometimes uh, with an extra layer of cloth in the front called a cape to cover their bodies uh, very adequately. And the men were less plain than the women, but some of them wore uh, jackets or coats that had almost priest-like plain collars and and sometimes were confused with priests if they were on trains but um my father didn't didn't wear that garb my mother was uh, on a spectrum of, of mennonite plainness she was somewhere in the middle for her time so that was just an, a normal way that 
uh, people were dressed all around me. So I lived in a very Mennonite world. It was one where all my relatives, well, most of my relatives were Mennonite, and many of my friends at school were Mennonite. So it, it looked odd to some people, but to us, it was just the way we dressed. I'm wondering for people who may not be familiar with Mennonite culture, but are familiar with Amish culture, especially as portrayed by the media, if you could share just a little bit about the distinction between the Amish and the Mennonites. Right. The Amish uh, broke away from the Mennonites. Uh, the, the Mennonites are actually part of the Radical Reformation of the 1600s, or the 1500s, the 16th century. And the Amish broke away about a century into the history because they felt the Mennonites were not strict enough about church discipline. This was a group of people who was pacifist, a group of people who was trying to live as purely like the first century church as they could. And the Amish felt that it was important for the church to uh, discipline members who were not living according to their agreed arrangements of, of the faith. They didn't really have creeds, but there, the, the bishops and the church leaders tried to discern the will of God and then lay out rules for the people to follow. And if, if people were not abiding by those rules, the Amish felt it was important to shun them. And so to create a pure church, the Amish had stricter rules. So their clothing, for example, is much more opposite modern clothing um, with very big bonnets and black and, and uh, both men and women looking different. So the men would wear a beard that had no mustache because mustaches were like military men. And the women, of course, were clothed from bonnet to uh, black stockings. So those, those were the clothing distinctions. But they're cousins. We are cousins. We live side by side. There are Amish and Mennonite communities throughout the United States often settling in the same farming areas. So growing up Mennonite was a joy in many ways because of that connection to security and safety and farm and family and church and being very at home in that world. Uh, but it also produced a lot of tensions, particularly during the time when I was a teenager and wanting to express my independence, uh, wanting not to look different from anybody. And uh, that was a time when I needed to decide whether I would join the church or not. And so a lot of the, the story of Blush is really the story of making that decision and feeling the conflict along with uh, the, the goodness and the tension between what I was feeling in the silence of my own heart about how to express my desire to follow Jesus. Did I need to wear a white covering on my head and go to public school and feel so odd and different in order to do that? And uh, I decided I would do it, but not because I felt that I, I myself 
wanted to do it, but because I was willing to give my uh, assent to what the community at the time asked of me. The, the, that tension really does come through in the book. The, the book is just a beautiful statement. Really enjoyed reading it. Thank you for writing it and for sharing it. Thank um, you. I, I, you know, I went to the next college over from Eastern Mennonite. I was a student at James Madison University. And I remember, you know, that's Harrisonburg, Virginia and the Shenandoah Valley. And isn't that very close to where you live now, Shirley? Yes. Um, I live just across from the Allegheny Mountains so that uh, I can uh, uh. see a pasture in front of me and the mountains beyond. It really is a, mm. a lovely setting. And I'm so glad you know it. Yeah. Well, well, even even at Madison, uh, you know, you're you're right there in in the valley. You've got the Blue Ridge on one side, the Alleghenies on the other. It was such a beautiful place to to yes. be a student. But I I remember so well the Mennonite presence in that culture. And of course, the most vivid memory I have are the horse and buggies, which yes. you know, in in the 1980s. That was unusual, and you yes. know, in a, in a town like Harrisonburg, I'm curious about the the relationship between the Mennonite tradition and, I guess, nonviolence, or I don't know what language you would use yeah. as a Mennonite. Um, maybe, but if you could speak to that a little, that would be interesting. Well, basically, the Mennonites have always believe that Jesus meant what he said when he said, love your enemies. <laughs> so it's as simple as that. I, you know? I, I'm sorry. It just makes me laugh. You know, like we take we take <laughs> Jesus, uh, quote unquote, at his word for so many things, except for that one, for some reason. You know? Yeah. And it's it's the hardest one of all. I yeah. think. And we do it very imperfectly, I should add. Mm. Uh, Sometimes we're better at loving our enemies than loving each other. Uh, sometimes we um, uh, don't love with the same love that Jesus showed us. Um, but it is it is the goal, and it is it is presented to us as part, in fact, a central part of the gospel that uh, Jesus giving his life actually is a form of. Uh, helping us to find peace within ourselves and uh, peace with the world and peace with all other humans and creatures in the world. So it's been a very important part of my life. I continue to believe that this is the most important teaching or at least certainly at the center of what it means to be Christian and I am very grateful to my tradition for hanging on to it uh, all these years. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence.
So this, I don't know if this, it feels like it's connected. So my question kind of piggybacking a little bit about what you said a little bit earlier and this question of Mennonite and plainness is, is this connect to that in some way that, that basically the message of Christ is this kind of simple message that, um, simple and yet not easy message of, of how to live a full human life. I I kind of want to unpack a little bit what plainness means and, well, and and we need to talk about it in different, in my own life, it has meant different things at yes. different times. And at this point, plainness is important to me, uh, as in plain speech, as in being centered and available. But at the time I was growing up, plainness actually had a physical manifestation in this clothing, which was Mm. intended not to be worldly, not to be fashionable, not Mm. to be drawing attention to the self, but to show a uh, submission, uh, a commitment Mm. to a community. And probably one of the most important admonitions behind all of that was the idea of being non-conformed to the world. Be not conformed, but be transformed. And these clothes were symbols of um, an allegiance to non-conformity. And that's something that I really cherish too. I don't dress differently from other people today, but I hope that I am non-conformed to the world, that I am able to withstand the temptations of uh, the violence of the world, of frivolity and noise. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, those, are the, those are the things I try to extract from the teachings about plainness that I grew up with. It seems like so many of these things are a way of, of stripping the noise of the world. You know, even taking Jesus at his word, right? I mean, not overanalyzing it to make it mean something else. It, did you find in your life that that was, did the world quiet for you as you were growing up Mennonite? Or did those things, you know, you, you maybe weren't as worried about what people thought about what you wore or you didn't care? I can understand also at the same time, I mean, being a young woman and navigating that could be complicated. But like you said, you lived with and, and nearby so many others that were doing the same thing. Yes, but I also was growing up, and now we're moving from my childhood into teenage years and my early adulthood. I was coming out of the physically plain world, the the world of plain clothing at the time when I was also discovering a more progressive kind of Mennonitism at Mm. Eastern Mennonite College, moving away from home for the first time uh, for many generations and going to college for the first time in many generations and discovering many other writers who were engaging with the world while also being nonconformed or trying to be nonconformed to the world. And in that context, of as an English major who was also studying during the Vietnam War, the whole tradition came alive in a new way. And um, mm. hearing Martin Luther King in person 
listening to the voices of people who were making arguments for and against the war, but uh, knowing that this was an opportunity to both stand in my own tradition, but also speak as an American, speak as a citizen. And so mm -hmm. uh, we had a bumper sticker, sticker that said, peace is patriotic. And we also participated in protests against the war. Uh, we were there in, um, in the demonstration after the Cambodian uh, invasion. And mm. we felt that our faith was really relevant to the time in which we were living. So that was uh, a whole new way of understanding the tradition. Mm -hmm. I would love to read for you a text that I first encountered as a student studying English, but which I could interpret as a Mennonite about beauty. Because uh, one of my favorite poets is Gerard Manley Hopkins, and two of his poems really spoke to me in ways that only a Mennonite uh, reading the poems for the first time in the 1960s in America <laughs> would understand. Uh, because here, here is a great poet talking about beauty, in which I wanted very much, uh, but extolling plainness, or I could view mm. it as extolling plainness. So here is Pied Beauty. Glory be to God for dappled things for skies of couple color as a brinded cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire coal, chestnut falls, finches wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow and plow, all and all trades their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change. Praise him. So I, I can recall with great pleasure and and specificity reading those words and thinking yes <laughs> that's beautiful A another of course is the even more famous god's grandeur mm. the world is charged with the grandeur of god it will flame out like shining from shook foil it gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, smeared, bleared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh morning, as the 
brown brink eastward springs because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and ah, bright winds. It's really, really hard to be Gerard Manley Hopkins. Mm. Kevin is Jesuit trained, and I work for the Jesuits, so we're you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're. I mean, the grandeur of God is, is kind of almost to me. It feels a little bit like a um, personal manifesto on some level. It's always it's yeah. always spoken to me about the actual. Pro- I think he it captures something that we that we um, as time goes on, it gets even more and more clear is, is he's pointing out the difference between seeing nature as it is and how we can notice it if we if we pay attention if we notice right. it but then he points out about how we're just so busy and about how humans try to control everything and how we're manipulating and crushing and it's I, I think there's something really powerful to just reflect on it's not only beautiful but I think it's also in a way prophetic and sad too. Yeah, but also hopeful because yes. uh, that that section in there about we don't get it because we're shod. Yes, <laughs> you know, for a barefoot girl reading this, uh, yes. that it, it's okay. We can we can still comprehend even though we are shod. Yes, and uh, so that's what's so lovely about both his deep comprehension of the spiritual in nature, but that despite the fact that we're all modern and we're all gussied up and we're all busy and we're all shod, mm. <laughs> it's still there. It's still available. The Holy Spirit still broods. It's still, yes. still there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shirley, I was going to ask you, just before you were reading the poetry, you started talking about your work as an activist, really, mm. and... and mm being active in that. And I'm, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how that's fit into your faith, being an activist and how uh, we often talk about toxic silence on the podcast and, yeah. you know, basically being a voice for the voiceless and, and how that's manifested in your life. Well, when peace and is associated with silence at the center, then one becomes aware of the many people who don't have the luxury of peace or don't have the luxury of silence even. And I felt a real passion for person who is left out of the silence or, or who is forced into silence by the structures of the world. And so that could have been in the Vietnam War, obviously it was soldiers on both sides Lately, it's been so many things uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. that are so perilously wrong. And uh, so uh, I have continued to be a marcher and continued to write letters and continued to be part of activist groups. I, I wouldn't say it's a huge part of my life, but it's an important part of my life. It's one I feel called to part of this preparation for saying goodbye to the world because mm. there are so many injustices and if my little voice can be of any benefit to helping others both have the 
privilege of silence and uh, extending the beauty of silence to the rest of the world, extending the the love of nature to others and uh, helping in this critical time of climate change. Uh, many, many callings are uh, reaching me and the only thing I can do sometimes is to sit in silence myself and pray for the world. And other times I feel called to other forms of action, but I consider that a form of action as well. Would you say that, you know, following up on that, would you say that just living the life of a of kind of plainness as it's evolved is, yes. is, is your is your activism? Uh, I love that. You know, I wouldn't have thought of saying it that way, but because of this conversation, it, it fits very well. Um, I, I do see myself as continuing to take at the deepest level the, most, the, the same metaphors of plainness and simplicity, mm. of peace um, mm. into my life. And I, I believe in them. I love them. Um, I try my best to uphold them in my life. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is KevinMichaelJohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at EncounteringSilence.com, where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world. Thank you.